0: Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts. michaelsflooringoutlet.com
1: And welcome to Overnight America, day after the election on November 4th. It's a Wednesday, and it also means that We could be getting some breaking news here in the next couple of minutes, and I am very um, nervous for this breaking news. I know that on Monday when we were trying to give our expectations of what we thought would happen during the election, I I gave you my thoughts. I said I don't feel confident that Donald Trump will win, even though I want him to win, even though I voted for him. I just was not getting that gut feeling that he was going to be able to take this thing. Well, here we are. We're about to get more election results in Arizona. And if Donald Trump could somehow pull out Arizona and make up the grounds as they continue to count these things, then we should be able to at least say there's a there's a chance. I think if Joe Biden definitively takes Arizona and if this next update that they're about to give the uh, results from it, it could be mean the path to becoming president is slim to none outside of uh, the Supreme Court coming in and actually giving some sort of Hail Mary pass in the favor of a Donald Trump. So we're watching it. And with the breaking news, the new vote totals coming in. I can't quite tell if that's actually them talking about it because they might be coming in as we speak right now. All right, hey, uh, how about this? In the studio, Nathan, can you bring up CNN real quick? I just want to hear if they're talking about some of these new totals here. I, I I think they might be doing that. Okay, he's bringing it up now. I can't tell, and I'm I'm trying to watch on the screen. It looks like they may be going over some of these numbers here that just came out. Now, I haven't seen them online yet. Maybe CBS has it on The Wire, too. Okay, you got it? Let's take a listen. the
2: votes... I don't mean to put you on the spot, but do you have any sense of when we're going to see the rest of these?
1: Um, Maricopa said that they are going to uh, do another upload uh, later tonight, uh, 10.30 our time. So 12.30 for you guys.
0: Um, And then they have said that they're going to do 7 o'clock every night until they are done. Are these really? I
1: I think we might have missed it. So we're going to see what Arizona is going to be doing here in the way of the election results and keep an ear out to so actual um, if we're looking at the electoral college right now, if Donald Trump keeps the lead in Pennsylvania, North Carolina and Georgia, let's just say hypothetically he does, he'll have just the threshold of winning this thing. Let's say Nevada goes to um, let's, let's say Nevada even goes to Joe Biden And it could just right come down to Arizona at this point. Now it says 84% of the estimated vote in Arizona were where we are before. Okay, so maybe they haven't updated it yet. Still too close to call. I'm glad that they have backed off from Arizona because for a long time yesterday, even during the election, they were trying to call it for Joe Biden. And it just didn't make sense because the areas were just not calculating correctly. I I think some of the totals as they come in, and, and it's so fluid right now. I'm just hoping, at least for my own sake, that the lead continues for Trump in Georgia. I hope that North Carolina, if we get any update from them, will be nice. And whatever Arizona has, it at least shows that Donald Trump is not only keeping pace, but maybe coming back up, or at least could show he's taking the lead. This is what I hope doesn't happen tonight. I hope that when. These numbers become more definitive, and if they continue to give updates from Arizona, it shows that there's no chance for Trump in Arizona. That would be, to me, the worst. I know some people listening here would probably like to see that. But essentially, we could be calling it tonight if Arizona says no-uh-uh, because even if Donald Trump were to take Georgia, North Carolina, in Pennsylvania, it wouldn't be enough. He would have to either, through litigation, Wisconsin or was uh, Michigan, take one of those states. He would have to take the lead and take Arizona, Or somehow Nevada, which it's going to be hard to tell if he's going to do that. Essentially, he would have to. And it's just so close right now. It's unbelievably close. I'm going to talk to Rich Rubino about that coming up in a few minutes. So how about this? We'll go to break early. We'll bring in our friend Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. He's the one that wrote the book, and we normally have him on Mondays. But tonight's special occasion, I thought, let's bring him in after the election. And I'm glad he said yes. So we're going to continue to watch anything that's new when it comes to vote totals coming in from Arizona. And we'll ask Rich about it next. America, KMOX.
0: St. Louis's morning news. Total information AM, weekday mornings at 5 on KMOX and KMOX.com. Welcome
1: back to Overnight America. So I'm, I'm trying to get some numbers here out of Arizona. It's very difficult to get those because they must have just came out. And, you know, I got CNN up. And essentially what CNN is doing is just they're not telling it. (laughs) It's like maybe they don't understand it or don't know how to present it properly. Uh, Maybe they're scrambling as well. But um, whatever the latest may be, I'll bring it to you when I see it here because new vote totals are coming in and they just dropped them apparently online. Which Arizona, apparently their secretary of state office, like you're in Missouri, it's very easy. You go to the Missouri Secretary of State, and you can look at the totals as they're updated. It's a nice little PDF file, but not in Arizona. <laughs> they decide to make it difficult for you to find these things. Um, let's uh, join our good old friend Rich Rubino, author of American Politics on the Rocks. Hello, Rich. How are you? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you? Good. What a night, huh? Uh, so last yes. night, wasn't that something? <laughs> yes, I think I think a lot
2: of people expected this would be a protracted process, and that's exactly what it is.
1: That's exactly what it is. Well, I'm, I'm trying to get the numbers here out of Arizona, and it's very difficult for me to find these properly. I just don't know. Um, I just don't know where exactly to get them because they were showing a reporter on TV trying to spitball some of these things, but I haven't seen the official ones that just came out. Um, but there's some on Twitter right now. Uh, it's, it's just hard to tell. So I'm sure you're watching probably the same things I am right now.
2: Oh, yeah. Just about every just about every source um, imaginable right now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, they're still saying about 84 percent reporting. Some people on Twitter are saying they're up to about uh, close to 99 percent reporting right now. So I just don't see what those numbers are yet. Whatever those are when we're updated, we'll bring it to anyone that may be listening right now. So overall, do you have any general impressions of what you witnessed last night?
2: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, it's I've heard nobody talk about this, but this is like there's such this is like eerily similar to what happened in 1916. You, William, Jen- you had, um sorry, you had Woodrow Wilson, the incumbent president, running for re-election. People were kind of um, kind of iffy about him. He had about a he he, he landed up he barely he barely he had barely been won won that won that election in 1916. But his slogan that year was America First, and it came down to California. And you actually had a result where about six newspapers actually reported that night that Charles Evan Hughes was elected president because they thought that the results of California had given him the presidency. As a matter of fact, Charles Evan Hughes went to bed, and a reporter came. To, a reporter talk, talk, wanted to talk to, a, to the butler and said, um, "Can you can you get Mr. Wilson? Can you get can you get Mr. Uh, Hughes out there out to, to speak with me?" And he said, "No, I can't do that because no." He said, "I'm you know we can we." I'm sorry, we'll have Charles Evans Hughes come down to speak, and speak. He said, and "He said, well, will he let the president come out and speak?" And he said, well, "He's not president." So, um, so that I mean mm-hmm. it was just very similar. So eventually, they Charles Evans Hughes originally said there was going to be fraud, there was fraud. So they actually had to do a recount in California. They actually had, and then they did do the recount and it determined that Wilson had actually won, barely won by less than four thousand votes. Some people in the Republican Party wanted Charles Evans Hughes to continue to contest it. He said, "I'm not going to contest it." But there are other states, too, like New Hampshire. Woodrow Wilson won that year literally by 56 votes. So that's the thing that I think is most – that's really – it's creepy in many respects. Um, the other thing, I think, is that the Democrats have really lost their way with rural voters. And it really shows in this election, not only at the presidential level, but at congressional levels. I'm watching some of these congressional races. You know, Cherry Bustos, for example, the number four-ranking Democrat in the House of Representatives – is on the verge of potentially losing her congressional seat right now. It's just about tied right now, um, so she get, could really go either way. And then you have other, other folks like Colin Peterson, the chairman of the Agriculture Committee, um, has just lost his seat, for example. A lot of these conservative Democrats have been elected last time in the blue wave. Um, ben McAdam, for example, I'm sorry, Joe Cunningham, for example, in South Carolina, have all lost. And the other thing, just the other big observation in my mind anyway, is just simply about polling. And just, you know, I had predicted that this election, I thought, you know, I really didn't know. I'm not a prognosticator, but I thought this could be similar to Bill Clinton's victory over Bob Dole, about six or seven points. You know, Bill Clinton got 49 percent. Bob Dole got about 41 percent. But there really are a lot of these surreptitious Trump voters, voters in places that aren't really necessarily – You don't have people going to elucidate. They're not going to maybe even tell pollsters. But these people are voting for Donald Trump, and the Democratic Party has a problem because a lot of these are blue-collar voters. are people that voted for Bill Clinton in 92, voted for Bill Clinton in 96, voted for Al Gore in 2000, voted for Barack Obama twice, did not vote for Hillary Clinton last time, and and did not vote for Joe Biden in some cases this time around. And that's that's why they're in the trouble they're in right now.
1: Wow. You know, this is what I'm looking at and just trying to look at some of the possibilities of what could happen. So if we were to look at the way the states are leaning right now, if you were to say, let's say Georgia, North Carolina and Pennsylvania all go to Donald Trump. Let's just say yeah. that happens. And still, for him, it wouldn't really give him reelection. It just would be shy. So that means he would have to take either Arizona or Nevada. Has Arizona or Nevada ever been the state that determines the election?
2: No. Um, Nevada, I mean, you know, it's fascinating that Nevada is even in play. Nevada is a state that, remember, this is a state that Donald Trump did not win last time. Um, this is a state that Hillary Clinton won last time. And you look at Nevada, and you got, you got Las Vegas, very liberal. you got Carson City. you got Reno. You know, all these... What Donald Trump did is he must have maximized the vote in what's called the cow counties, the area between essentially, essentially Carson City and Reno on one end, and then Las Vegas down at the Henderson down at the southern end. And he must have done extremely well in, these, in that, that part of the state. Um, in terms of Arizona, you know, Arizona is a state that the – it is a state that's really starting to bode well for the Democrats, in part because of the influx of the Latino vote, the suburban vote um, around Phoenix – Last time around, they elected some – and since they elected Congressman Hallahan, for example, they've elected some Democrats. Um, Kirsten simmons was elected in the the United States Senate last time around. This time around, Mark Kelly just eviscerated uh, Martha McSally in a Senate race in Arizona, one of the few pickups that Democrats have. Um, But Arizona, go back to – from 1948, Harry Truman won it. Only one Democrat since 19—since Harry Truman won it, and that was Bill Clinton in 1996. Now it looks like it's going the way, essentially, of states like Virginia and Colorado. It's becoming a purple state, and it looks like it may potentially become a blue state, whereas Republicans, you know, have to—on the other side, they have to kind of offset that by making a state like Minnesota, which is becoming more and more Republican, you know, a state that no Democrat has—no no, no Democrat has lost since 1972 when Richard Nixon uh, eviscerated— uh, George McGovern, but that state tends to be going a little bit more Republican. But no, it has not been. It has not been a deciding factor. California, though, was the deciding factor, for example, in the nineteen sixteen election, or Florida, certain Florida and New Hampshire, for that matter, being the deciding factors in the uh, two thousand election, for example, or even Texas and Texas and Illinois for in, back in nineteen sixty.
1: I want to try to prefaced what we thought before the election, at least the way things were polling, they made it look like there was, you know, a 10 point lead or whatever. For a while there. um, And maybe some of the major polls started to concede and say, no, Joe Biden only has an eight point lead going into it. So as it turns out, much, much closer than a lot of the national polls, just like in 2016, where they had their issues with trying to get the the accuracy of what the national feel was. But the same thing kind of happened again. It was a it was something that gave a lot of people reserve and a lot of criticism going to the polling yet again. So I'm curious what you think might have happened. Why do you think, after some of the issues in 2016, that they couldn't really accurately count what is the real polling of the two candidates? And, you know, you talk about rural America and some of these places that are more difficult to poll. Even after knowing they got burnt and really humiliated in a way because everyone talked about just how wrong they were, you would think they would have every incentive to try to get it as close as possible. But then again, it didn't look like they did it this year.
2: Yeah, well, actually, in 2016, the real clear politics average of polls was actually accurate in terms of the popular vote, just about, they predicted Hillary Clinton would win that by three points. She ended up winning it by two points. Now, so where they were incorrect was in some of this, within specifically out of these swing states, and specifically with those kind of white working-class voters in places like Macomb County, Michigan, for example, where the Reagan Democrats kind of effectuated. A lot of these folks, they, really, they underestimated them in polls. Now, there's a possibility, and there's a possibility that potentially people might be telling pollsters something different. Um, there, have been, there have been examples. For example, in 1982, there was a governor's race in California. Tom Bradley was an African-American. He was the Democratic nominee. And a lot of people were telling pollsters that they were going to vote for him. So as a result, people were saying, a lot of reporters were saying Tom Bradley's going to win by 7, 8, 10 points. He ended up losing. It's called the Bradley effect. So there have been examples in history where people don't want to say who they're supporting and potentially are saying something different. But it also just could be that there's such a, the Trump campaign has just outpaced uh, the Biden campaign in terms of the ground game and in terms of rounding up the score in a, lot of the, in a lot of parts of rural America. You know, um, you just look at the map, by the way. It's fascinating. When Jimmy Carter ran for president in 1976, he won every single southern state, including Mississippi, Alabama. The only southern state he lost that year, with only two were actually Virginia and Oklahoma. Now, this time around, the Democrats, I mean, it just shows there's been such a sea change. The Democrats do well in all the cities. Um, Virginia is no longer even a swing state. Virginia has essentially become a solid blue state. They have two, two Democratic senators, a Democratic, a Democratic governor. Um, but, this, but, but in the deep south, Arkansas, Alabama, Arkansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, just Bill Clinton won both those states in 1992 and in 1996. Now they're not even contested. The Democrats certainly, you know, whatever happens at the presidential level, they absolutely have to do an autopsy on what their problem is in terms of relating to rural America. Bill Clinton was the last person, I think, the last Democratic presidential nominee who was able to go to those communities and was able to speak their language and was able to win the rural vote. And this isn't only necessarily in southern states, by the way. Places like, you know, places like Michigan, places like Ohio, they have really given up on the Democratic Party. And I think part of it, and I think one of the lessons of this campaign and the last couple of campaigns, is that politics is no longer based on pocketbooks. It's no longer based on economics. You have a lot. Of, you have rural, rural congressional districts in Kentucky, for example, that go overwhelmingly Republican, and then you have wealthy people in Manhattan going overwhelmingly going overwhelmingly Democrat. I think mean, cultural issues have really um, have really overtaken. They've really trumped, if you will some of these economic issues, which means that the Republicans have a problem garnering support in the Latino community, in the African-American community, and the Democrats have a problem you bring going back to their roots in many respects. They are founded as kind of a rural party founded on the idea of an agrarian republic. You know, Andrew Jackson, Martin Van Buren, they have a, they have a huge problem with those rural voters, and maybe they can win without the rural voters. And it's very possible that, you know, Joe Biden in many respects has done that, but they're definitely going to have a problem trying to have, form a governing majority if they don't have if they get virtually no support with rural support with rural voters, except when you, in Vermont. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> when you which look at the, the one exception, map, yeah, and you kind of look at the electoral college map and you look at the different states, red states, blue states. I'm wondering if you think this map looks similar to any other elections? Do does the pattern that you're seeing, which states are going? remind you of any other presidential election?
2: Yeah, but it reminds me of the, the opposite side. It used to be, um, you know, you look, at the, you, look at any, you look at the maps of Woodrow Wilson, you look at the maps of John G. Davis in 1924, it was always that the Democrats, the solid South, was not even contested. You know, Herbert Hoover was the first Republican to actually win the state of Texas. Warren G. Harding won Tennessee in 1920. He kind of, he was seen as, oh my gosh, a, Democrat, a Republican actually won a state in the South. So where were Republicans winning? Well, Herbert Hoover in 1932, when he ran for re-election, he only won – he essentially did his – best, his best region in the country was the Northeast. Um, states like Vermont and Maine actually went for Alf Landon. The Republican nominee in eighteen in nineteen thirty six, rather. So it, the maps used to look exactly the opposite. The Democrats were always the solid South was always solidly Democrat. The Republicans were always did very well in the northern states, and they did very well in the uh, they did very well in the Midwest. The Midwest is still kind of the swing area, but it's just kind of there's just been this transmogrification in terms of the political map. But I guess together the, the closest example would certainly have to be the last presidential election. But as they say, you even look at the states that were in play. In 2000, when Al Gore was running, and in 2004, when John Kerry was running, you know Louisiana and Kentucky and Arkansas—they weren't necessarily—they weren't—they certainly were not won by John Kerry. They were not won by Al Gore. There are places that the campaigns would actually go to this time around, other than you know Georgia and Florida, um, and you know there's really no. Um, there's no there's no reason for a Democrat to essentially spend any time in the deep in the deep South. They just kind of you know cede that region to the Republicans, just like the Demo- just like the Republicans used to cede that region to the Democrats. It's a fascinating mm-hmm. phenomenon. I think it began by the way 1964 is when this whole phenomenon began. Lyndon Johnson was running for was running and he was running and he did very well everywhere except for the South, Mississippi. Which John, Mississippi, for example. He won with, um, you know, he lost to Barry Goldwater, the senator from Arizona, very conservative. Barry Goldwater garnered eighty-seven percent of the vote that year in Mississippi. But four years, but by nineteen seventy-six, you know, Jimmy Carter was actually winning the state of Mississippi.
1: Hmm. Do you mind holding on after the break? We can talk about some of the previous times where elections have gone to the higher courts and the Supreme Court. We have one recent and one some time ago. We'll do that right after the look at the weather. And if there's any updates in Arizona or Georgia or some of these states that said they're going to update their numbers, we'll bring those to you. Yeah, we'll do it live on the show tonight. And we'll continue with Rich Rubino, American Politics on the Rocks. Politi-Geek.com is his website. This is Overnight America, KMOX.
0: News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the
1: Cardinals. And Overnight America is live tonight up until midnight, and then midnight to 2, the replay hours, where you may be listening to this now. You can always go to the podcast, if you like, at KMOX.com, or just look up Overnight America. And sometimes we get calls later in the show that says, oh, I wish you would have asked Rich Rubino this, or I wish that, or or, Rich got it wrong, Rich got it right. You know, people like to comment on the things you say, Rich Rubino, so that's a good sign. Uh, People are listening. You know, maybe someone wants to call in and ask you a question live. I guess we could do that. I don't think we've done that before. But uh, 314-436-7900. So you know who you are. If you wanted to try to, you know, instead of waiting and saying it after the fact, you can ask Rich uh, firsthand. That'll be pretty neat. But we're watching the results right now. And no surprise, the turnout was unbelievable this year. Look how many people voted. Isn't that amazing?
2: Oh, my gosh. I know.
1: Yeah. And what the original, there was an article that said, look at that. um, Joe Biden has the most votes of any presidential candidate ever in Donald Trump is about to be the second most because he's just about to surpass Barack Obama. He's very close to that. I think after all the votes are in, that'll probably happen too. So even if you want to look at it in that sense, you could have the one in two most voted on people in American history running in the same election. That's something that tells you. So many people came out to the polls and and, uh, also sent in ballots, things like that. Um, I I wanted to ask you about the Supreme Court, because that's going to be the next question. If uh, Donald Trump is trying to do everything he can to stay in the White House, he's already said that he's going to take certain legal matters into his own hands and try to litigate some of these states, recounts, or in general, just trying to validate in a different way or make sure things are in accordance. So you have... Key states like Michigan and Wisconsin being brought up for those. I wanted to ask you about some of the previous times the Supreme Court came into play, or at least the higher court in that matter, for some presidential elections.
2: Well, I think you know there's the well. The first answer is 1876, but this is an extremely Byzantine election. Um, basically, what the result was basically to try to make this as short as possible. Eventually, they had a commission. Um, there are three states that were in dispute. You had Louisiana, you had Florida, you had South Carolina, and actually that year Samuel, Samuel Tilden, he was the governor of New York. Rutherford B. Hayes was the governor of Ohio. Tilden actually won not only to win the popular vote; he won a majority of the vote, which Al Gore and Grover and Grover Cleveland uh, both who won who both won. Um, the, who both won the popular vote but did lost the electoral college, not actually win a majority. So Samuel Tilden actually ran an out majority. So basically went down to a commission. It voted about eight to seven, for Hayes. Have essentially made a deal. Part of the deal was Hayes agreed to take some of the troops out of um, out of the occupied parts of the South. Um, during re- kind of ending reconstructions in a sense. So that was basically a disputed election. The other one, which I think people are getting – well, you have other ones I think that people would be more familiar with would certainly be 2000, Al Gore uh, versus George W. Bush. Essentially, there were times that a lot of people thought that the Electoral College might actually go the other way, that George W. Bush may actually ha- may actually have uh, won the um, popular vote but not win in the Electoral College Essentially, you came down to a few states. It came down to New Hampshire, was one of the states where Al Gore just barely lost. Um, A lot of people in the Gore campaign blamed the Nader campaign. They think that if Ralph Nader was not on the ballot in New Hampshire, Gore would have won. And then, of course, you had the state of Florida, and it came down to about 597 votes. And essentially, Kathleen Harris, who was the Secretary of State at the time and a Republican, Who'd actually helped to run the Florida campaign for George W. Bush, an ally of Jeb Bush, the governor of Florida, um, awarded the state to George W. Bush. It went all the way to the Supreme Court. They kept on challenging it, and in a five-to-four decision, with the conservatives ruling one way, the liberals ruling the other way. Um, kind of the swing board at the time was uh, was Sandra Day O'Connor, and they essentially ruled to stop the recount. And um, George W. Bush at that time became president. Al Gore conceded. There were some people in in the Democratic Party, the left wing of the Democratic Party, that were absolutely um, hostile toward Al Gore. They said you absolutely cannot concede this election uh, when he actually, when when there was a time when when there was a time when the Vice President Al Gore, in his capacity as Vice President, has to certify the votes which was kind of a humiliating because he's certifying that he lost the election. You know, Hubert Humphrey mm-hmm. did this in 68. Richard Nixon did this in 1960. And there were some members of Congress, of the House who would come up and say, essentially, we object. They say, but the problem is you need to have a senator to agree, to object. And they couldn't get any senators to agree. Uh, later in 2004, yeah, Rich, um, though, yep. what,
1: Let's do. Let's do a quick pause, real quick, because there's an update in Fulton County in Georgia oh, yeah. on CNN. Let's try to bring that up real quick, if we could, Nathan. Uh, bring up CNN and see what they're saying, because it looks like there may be new information you know coming there isn't out of Georgia.
0: Here, who takes a pile of ballots they don't like, puts them in their pocket, walks home with them, and never gets them. Coming? We have chain of custody.
2: They're all everything that comes in is with a chain of custody form, and it goes through a whole process of, of being opened and cut uh, over to the flattener and then over to the scanner, so we can we can balance that.
1: The final
0: question for you, Richard, you must be very proud of these people. That's a statement, but you must be very proud.
2: Oh, I'm very proud. My staff's been working long, long hours for many months uh, since before the June election. We've been hit with a COVID outbreak uh, of 25 people a couple weeks ago. So we've been impacted hard. Richard Barron, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Well, if I could tell you,
0: there's at least 60,000 votes just in the Atlanta area, including here, but still haven't been counted. Back to you. Well, uh, we'll- All
1: right, let's uh, come back here and. That looks like the latest. Was that the CBS coverage, it sounded like? We were able to pick up uh, CBS coverage, which is good. So, oh, that was CNN. Okay, so were we're picking up CNN there. That was Richard Barron. He's the Fulton County Elections Director. And he was basically trying to make sure there's confidence in the... Methods that they're doing, and I got to say CNN has a live look in with the cameras that are around all of the different desks. It looked like the 1960s, you know one room full of desks and things, <laughs> and everyone's counting these ballots. Different story up in Michigan where you see the videos of them putting up like a poster board to block the window so no one can look into the counting, which a lot of people are saying um, why <laughs> why can't people observe? And what's going on? And obviously, they're not in the room with them. So observing from the other side of glass, what would be the uh, harm in that? And all right, so see, it looks like mostly the update is that there's still a lot of ballots around the Atlanta area that hasn't been counted yet. But at least they're coming out and saying that, hey, we have confidence that we're doing things in the right and legal manner. OK, we get that. Uh, so not a huge update from Georgia, but it's a good thing that they did that. Uh, OK, so Rich Bino. Uh, where we left off. You you were talking about 2004. It looks like there could have been something that brought up there. This is after what happened in 2000 based on the whole Florida ordeal.
2: There were questions that year about Ohio and that year, actually, Barbara Boxer, the senator from California, who said she regretted she had not done in 2000, she's actually Kathleen, she's actually Kamala Harris's predecessor in California. She essentially agreed that there should be um, a challenge. So they made the challenge. It, nothing, nothing essentially happened with it. But that was but 2000 is obviously the closest, um, the closest of this, the closest um, competitor, I guess, to what's going on right now. Certainly, the uh, certainly the protracted process. So then, Al Gore essentially gives a concession speech, and a lot of people say he was very gracious. He talks about how he strongly disagrees with the decision, but, he's essentially, but he essentially respects it. And he says, "I'm going to go home to Tennessee and mend some fences because if he had won his home state of Tennessee. He would have won the um, he would have won the presidency. There were so many factors that year that Al Gore. I'm sure, just you know, when you, get, when you lose an election that close and you think you probably won it, for one thing, you probably think about more than anything else is. What if Bob Graham, who had never lost our state, state race in Florida, in Florida, he was a senator, he was a governor, he had a job approval rating over 60 percent. What if he was my running mate instead of Joe Lieberman? Would that have given me those 597 votes in Florida? You know, What if I had spent more time in New Hampshire? What if I hadn't spent more time in certain places? What if I had spent time here? It's just like um, – you know, I, I think you could probably say the same thing for – for Donald Trump, he's probably, or for that matter, Joe Biden. For Donald Trump, he probably could say something to the effect of, "What if I had spent more time, you know, here? What if I had spent more time in Wisconsin?" But you know, to his credit, two things he did that were very smart. One of them is he, the last campaign appearance was in Grand Rapids, Michigan, um, when a lot of people thought that he had actually that Michigan was essentially had gone to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden was going to win by five or six points. The campaign of Trumps knew how important Michigan is. The other thing he did. He went to Nebraska last week, and it was fascinating the fact that he went to Nebraska, and Nebraska does what Maine does. Essentially, they, can, they, they do it by con- their electoral votes, by congressional districts, So whoever wins, the national- to whoever wins the popular vote in Nebraska garners the two electoral votes. Then the rest is based on congressional district. So people say, well, why is he spending time in Nebraska for that one electoral vote? Well, he didn't win the electoral vote, but he knew that potentially that could be the one vote that could have gotten him up to 270. So he did spend time there. And Joe Biden, I think, clearly made a couple of mistakes. One of them was spending so much time in Texas. Beto O'Rourke, the former congressman there, you, you, Senate candidate in 2018, who had a very impressive showing, said essentially if you put the money into Texas, we think you can win Texas. They did that. They did not win Texas. And also the fact that Joe Biden essentially went to Iowa – Senator Harris went to Iowa, and, they really, and they, not only did they lose Iowa pretty handily, they also lost the Senate seat in Iowa, and they lost the congressional seat in Iowa, too. Though that was time that they could have been spending in Wisconsin, they could have been spending in other places, they could have been spending even in Georgia and in Pennsylvania, where I think Joe Biden actually did spend quite a bit of time, though.
1: Well, you could uh, you could be Bloomberg right now looking at a hundred million not well spent.
2: <laughs> but you know what? He did win American Samoa in the Democratic primary, so he will always have that on his resume that you know he did better in American Samoa than anybody else in the
1: Democratic Party. Yeah, and how much did it take to get that? I don't know. <laughs> um, one other thing, and he had four um, page you know, staffers there. <laughs> well, I wanted to. Uh, looks like we got Bob calling in. He did have a question for you. If you'd like to take it, yes. Yeah, let's do that. So, Bob, welcome to Overnight America. You're on with Rich Rabino. Thank you very much. Um,
2: I noticed that I, I've worked in the polling place before, and when they were short, a Republican or a Democrat, that they had used, like, two Democrats or two Republicans to replace it just to make things flow, you know? So I was wondering, how did they have this problem in Pennsylvania where they were opening ballots and things? How did they do something like that? They were opening stuff before they were supposed to.
1: Mm. Okay, uh, Bob. Thank you very much for your call. So, cool. Rich, he's—I he's, I guess he's talking about uh, in certain states and the way that they handle the mail-in and the early voting. Um, it, you know, depending on when you're supposed to count those, process those, are you supposed to hold on to them and then open them up after the fact? Now, I've, I guess what you're watching and what you're seeing right now and the internet is definitely different than. I don't know, reality sometimes, where the sense that in the internet you can see things that sometimes pan out to be untrue, but then it gets circulated so quickly and then people pick up on things. I have seen some pretty legitimate arguments and some even coming from Trump's team about things being done not in a legitimate manner. And that's why he's going to contest or at least bring up the point, like recounts and whatnot. And and then people show up certain numbers of voting patterns that look irregular. They say maybe we should look into this because the race is so close. Um, I wanted to talk about the merits of those things. Is there any uh, comments or thoughts you have on that?
2: Um, no. I mean, I just think that, you know, obviously... Um, if there was some sort of an if the, if the suggestion is that there was some sort of an impropriety, then obviously that would be a justification for doing the recount. But um, if the Trump campaign is willing to spend the money um, to do those recounts, then obviously they're going to obviously they're going to do that, and they think that there is some way that they have a um, logical way of actually winning. But um, you know, with the other side the other side of that is it's can you? Tried, I'm trying to envision a scenario where Donald Trump actually concedes, even if there is a recount. And it's really hard for me to think of him actually coming in and saying, Well, you know, we're gonna have a great transition and I'm gonna be like Jimmy Carter and work for Habitat for Humanities, you know. Um I don't know what the <laughs> process is. I just really um you know, I'll work on my library, maybe, I'll work in the presidential library, I'll start a foundation like, you know, Carter did or something. I just don't know what is gonna happen there. And I don't know. The other question is if Biden does become the winner and this is I know this is this is deviating from the subject a lot a little bit, but does he have the, the traditional coffee with Joe Biden? Do they essentially ride over to the inauguration together? I just don't know what's going to happen that, with this. This is really, um, a, this is really unprecedented. Um, there have been examples, by the way, 1828. John Quincy Adams did not essentially go to meet Andrew Jackson, never went to his inauguration. John, John Adams, 19, 1800. But in both cases, they did actually concede the election. Um, I don't know what Donald Trump is going to do in this particular circumstances, um, and it's just going to be absolutely um, fascinating because we are really an unprecedented territory in that respect.
1: Yeah, and based on some exit polls, we, start, we see this too. So apparently the Republicans got their biggest share of non-white votes since 1960. That's, of course, exit polling, so we don't exactly know what the full range of what it'll be but we were starting to see in certain areas that changing you know down in florida they were looking at the hispanic vote and they're wondering if that would transfer over to arizona which would lead to perhaps trump taking that state so there have been a lot of things that uh people were really surprised um some things that i started wondering because we saw in our own impressions of what was going on in some of the different places and people were wondering if it was just kind of a small group or if it was more of a bigger indication of what could be happening in the Republican Party. That surprised a lot of people too. The African-American vote people were looking at 18 percent was the exit polling I believe for black males and then it was I think eight percent for females which is roughly double for women and then it was like maybe a six point advantage from the last time for men so some of these things that uh could be changing in a lot of these different states not just the rural areas maybe some of the demographics and um for what the parties would traditionally rely on and try to build on so uh, i just wanted to point that out real quick because i know we got to go and there's so much that goes on in this rich if people wanted to look you up online where can they find you
2: Yep. Uh, you can just go. You can either go to www.polita-geek.com, You can see some interviews there, or just actually go to my Facebook page, Rich, and then last name Rubino, R-U-B-I-N-O, and you can see my interviews there as well, or just go to Rich Rubino Paul over at the, over at Twitter.
1: Rich Rubino-Paul on social media. Look him up. And we try to link and uh, retweet things on social media, so you can always get links that way, too. Rich Rubino, thank you again for coming on, doing a second time this week. And uh, who knows, maybe by Monday next week, we still won't know. (laughs)
2: Yeah, unfortunately, this is a very uh, boring uh, pedestrian election, but I was glad I could come on anyway.
1: <laughs> so boring, I know. <laughs> Rich Rapino, uh, he's uh, always with us on Mondays, so I'm glad that we got to spend some time with him today. This is Overnight America, KMOX. This is Overnight America,
0: sponsored by Michael's Flooring. The flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com
1: on KMOX. Next hour, we are going to open things up for you, and this is where I want to hear from you. So what we'll do is we'll go to the CBS News. We'll have our own newscast locally here and give you an update on everything that's going on, and then when we get back, I want to try to figure out what's going to happen next and what your feelings are, and starting on Monday, or at least uh, last Monday when we took this call, it it was me trying to figure out, man, I just don't feel confident that Donald Trump could do this. And the level of confidence rose, and it would get high. And for a while there, I thought, oh, it looks like he's going to be able to do this. And then you start to have to level those expectations down even further because you have to take into consideration the mail-in ballot portion. But then will that be challenged? Will all of them be counted? I'm looking at some of the Arizona results online, and it's tough to find these things because it's not easy. Over on the Arizona Secretary of State or whatever website where they try to post these things, they do a terrible job actually breaking it down. I mean, they have like an overview, like they're a, like they're a major news network or something in the way that they try to present it. And because they try to doll up the presentation, it makes it a little bit difficult for us as someone that wants a little bit more detail to actually get these things. Like at least here, in Missouri, you can see a PDF and get a full rundown. If here's how many votes came in, here's what the differences are, and here's here's where they came into. You can go county by county or district by district, I guess. But here's what I'm seeing online. So I'm I'm not uh, getting this from a major news source. I'm getting this from different people that are talking about it on social media. So the eight o'clock central votes that came in uh, it said with just over a little seventy four thousand votes, Donald Trump. Uh, chipped off 13,644 votes off of Biden's lead. Okay, so that's the thing. Um, 13,000 making it up. And we're talking about the difference between the two right now is about 80,000. So chipped away that. So that would put him at getting about 59% of the vote in some of these Arizona areas. Now, for Donald Trump to overtake Joe Biden in Arizona, they're saying that he has to get at least like 57% of the vote. 57-ish percent of the vote. And if that's the case, he got 59% in the first update that just came in. So it goes and shows you that there is a real chance that Arizona does change. By how much? Who knows? Um, They also want to point out some of the different areas that are dumping down, at least putting the statistics out tonight. Uh, It's not exactly easy to tell the breakdown of districts, but we can at least get a general idea. And the way that it is closing, uh, here's NBC Politics from 8.21 p.m., Joe Biden, 1.44 million, Donald Trump, 1.36 million. So you're looking at about 80,000 difference there, if I'm doing my my math right. Yeah, so he's going to have to continue to chip away at that. And there's still a lot of votes left, I think 346,000 outstanding 526,000 outstanding ballots in some of these areas that could be very favorable to Donald Trump. This isn't over yet. And whenever the next one comes out, we'll see if he continues to chip away. We'll take your calls coming up next. Line them up. This is Overnight America, KMOX.
0: Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports.
1: The clock at four. Donchich.